Good morning. So to start with, I have a confession to make. I really have not been very good value as a senior pastor this week. I wrote three different talks and gave up on all of them. So that is a lot of valuable time wasted. But the reason that that happened is because I'm always asking myself, whenever I'm thinking about a talk, does this pass the so what test? Not is it any good, not is it true, but does it pass the so what test? How is this going to change anyone's life? Or maybe a more modest ambition would be, is this going to change someone's Monday morning or change their week? How is it going to change for the good the way that they understand who God is and what he's like? How is this going to change for the good how they understand themselves and how much God loves them and cares for them? Because if it isn't, then frankly, there's no point. Now maybe I'm being a bit hard on myself, but every talk has to answer the question, so what if I hadn't done the talk? How would anyone be worse off? What blessing that God has for them would they be missing out on? You can probably imagine that come midday Thursday with three talks already in the bin at this point, there was beginning to be a little bit of desperation in my mind because nothing was passing that so what test. So as a result, when I was writing this talk, the title at that point was Sunday, May the 3rd. Technically accurate, but perhaps not the most inspiring sermon title ever. Only marginally better than talk number four. So I found myself having this conversation with the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to talk about this Sunday? And God saying, well, why don't you just tell people some things that they need to hear right now with everything that's going on? He said, stop trying to write a great talk. And I sensed that, slightly embarrassingly, great talk here was almost certainly in inverted commas. Does God speak in inverted commas? I guess sometimes he probably does. Forget about a structure, forget about three points, just share a few things that are on your heart for people from me that might bless them and encourage them. So that was the end of the conversation. So that is the plan for this morning, if you can call that a plan. It may turn out to be the randomest sermon ever. So I want to start with a passage in Isaiah 54. And this is God speaking to the people through the prophet Isaiah, who we should technically call second Isaiah, because what we see happening in Isaiah 40 to 55 is in a different situation to Isaiah 1 through 39. But we don't need to worry too much about that today. So this is God speaking to the people, verse 2. Make your tent bigger. Stretch it out and make it wider. Do not hold back. Make the ropes longer. Make its stakes stronger. Do this because you will begin growing very much. 
Now, a couple of things by way of background just to put this in context. So the people of Israel were living at the time in tents. And these were made of three-foot-wide panels of woven goat's hair. So when more family members needed to be accommodated, extra panels could be made and just sewn on. And the ropes that stretched from the centre poles to the corner poles would need to be made longer as well. And the stakes that held the guy ropes would need to be bigger and stronger and go deeper. The other thing that we need to know is that they're living in exile in Babylon, where things were pretty bad. I want to just read you a few words from a biblical scholar describing their situation. Because in so many ways, in so many of the things that we are feeling right now, we can probably relate to how they were feeling. He says, Isaiah was speaking to the people of God who were facing hard times under foreign rule in a foreign land. They needed to hear God's voice. The temple was in ruins. They were a defeated people. There were few or no signs that their situation would change. They longed for home. They were tired and they'd lost courage. They were praying and crying to their God. They felt lost and wondered what God could do about all this. Was he able to do anything? He who had not been able to save them from catastrophe in the first place. It was to these people in this situation that Isaiah was called to convey what God wanted to say to them. So, no pressure, Isaiah. Now, second, Isaiah is often called the prophet of consolation because his mission begins with God saying, comfort, comfort my people. It's the very first verse in second Isaiah, which begins Isaiah 40, verse 1. And that defined his calling. And I think that we are called to that right now as well. I think that God is saying to you and to me, Comfort, comfort my people. In your connect groups, your prayer triplets, your Sunday teams, your storehouse volunteering, everyone that you can think of, everyone who God puts on your hearts, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And if you want to be prophetic, then that is a great place to start. Phone a friend, be like Isaiah. So then, going back to the passage, God says to them what seems to be an extraordinary thing in that situation. Make your tent bigger. Stretch it out and make it wider. Do not hold back. Make the ropes longer. Make its stakes stronger. Do this because you will begin growing very much. But for these people in exile in Babylon at that time, it probably didn't seem like a a time to grow and to expand. They were probably thinking, this is a time to cut back and go into their shells and just feel sorry for themselves and to say, where is God in all of this? And Isaiah then gives them the answer, using lots of rich metaphor and picture language as prophets usually did. 
This is what the Lord says to comfort his people. Don't be afraid because I have saved you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you cross rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not hurt you. This is because I, the Lord, am your God. I, the Holy One of Israel, am your Saviour. You are precious to me. I give you honour and I love you. So don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Many of us are feeling many of the things that they were feeling in that strange and foreign land they were living in. Needing to hear God's voice. Needing to feel God's comfort. Feeling defeated. Seeing around them few or no signs that the situation would change. Tired and losing courage. But God is saying to us, comfort, comfort my people. Let what's happening around you draw you closer to him and not allow it to drive you away from him. It's time to make your relationship with God bigger, to stretch it out and make it wider. Don't hold back. Make those ropes longer and those stakes stronger because this is the time for you to begin growing very much. I wonder how many of us feel that we have been growing in our relationship with God in the last few weeks. Growing closer, going deeper, becoming stronger. Because although it may not seem like it, this is the time. God says to them over and over again, all in the space of just three verses, come, all you who are thirsty, come, 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 listen, listen to me. Give ear and come to me, listen. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Because even though it may not feel like it, he is near, despite what's happening. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He can bring good out of all of this that we cannot possibly imagine because he is God and we are not. And he's inviting us to trust him in that. And then here comes the promise that the exile will be over, that you will be leaving Babylon and coming home. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And that word peace there, the the Hebrew word is shalom, and it means way more than our English word peace. It means when the world is all as it should be, when everything in life is as it's supposed to be. It's holistic in the sense of wholeness and complete well-being. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. We will once again be worshipping.
So we may be in exile. It may feel like we're living in Babylon right now. But don't give up. Don't let the enemy win. James 4.8 in the New Testament says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So this is time for all of us to be investing in our relationship with God. It's time to draw near, not to draw back or to hold back. It's time to make our tent bigger, stretch it out and make it wider. Do not hold back. Make the ropes longer. Make its stakes stronger. Do this because you will begin growing very much. And I believe that what God is saying to us about our own relationship with him is also what he's saying to us as a church. And I've felt that right from the very beginning of this crisis. So as soon as we are able to, as soon as the restrictions start to be eased, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to do it literally by getting the builders back in to finish the work, expanding the size of the auditorium and finishing the new vineyard kids' rooms and the new entrance by the warehouse and what we do for our community through storehouse. And we're going to do it metaphorically as well by growing and enhancing the things that we're doing as a church in expectation that we will indeed begin growing very much when this is all over. This morning, uh, the morning that I was writing this, Becky Stevens on our staff team sent an article from the New Statesman magazine headlined, how coronavirus is leading to a religious revival. As COVID-19 reminds us of life's fragility, an increasing number of people are turning to faith and spirituality. The article said, the fact that Bible app downloads shot up in March globally is one indication of this. The top English language Bible on Google Play and the App Store was installed almost two million times, the highest amount ever recorded for March. One of the UK's largest online Christian bookstores, Eden, has seen physical Bible sales rise by 55% in April, while Google searches for prayer and Christianity have skyrocketed. Rowan Williams, who's the former Archbishop of Canterbury, says that this pandemic has triggered an historic spiritual moment. He notes that engagement with online church services is booming. So it's time to make our tent bigger. Stretch it out and make it wider. Do not hold back. Make the ropes longer. Make its stakes stronger. And do this because you will begin growing very much. And we hope that everyone in the church who's watching this will catch the vision for that and play your part in helping us to do that. So it's very exciting and I can't wait for us to be back together again. Okay, so my second thought this morning. I was thinking this week how weird it is that coronavirus is an invisible enemy. The whole world is fighting it, but we can't even see it with the naked eye. 
It doesn't seem to matter how powerful a country's armed forces are or how much money it's got. The tiniest little microorganism can apparently bring it to its knees. And yet, we can't even see it. But we know that it's real because we can see its effects on people. And in the case of the coronavirus, the, the effects are things like a high temperature, a cough and difficulty breathing. But it got me thinking about another invisible enemy that many of us are facing right now, which can also have devastating effects. And that is fear, anxiety, worry, stress and despair. Now, fear is not all bad, of course. We need to have some fears about some things so that we don't take risks and put ourselves in danger. So there is healthy fear and unhealthy fear. There's fear that's good for us and fear that's bad for us. There's fear that's our friend and fear that's our enemy. So what I want to do this morning is just to share some thoughts about our fears and what God may be saying to us to help us in handling this invisible enemy. Now I just need to say at the outset that if your fears and anxieties and stress are part of a medical condition, then don't take anything that I'm saying as contradicting any medical advice that you are receiving. Do not stop taking any medication. Medication and the Holy Spirit are never, ever in competition with each other. Very important. So the first thing to say is that in this world that we live in, we face physical battles and we face spiritual battles. And the physical battles are more obvious than the spiritual battles. In the spiritual battles, we can't see our enemies. Just like with the coronavirus, all we see is the effects. The Bible tells us that we have a spiritual enemy that it calls Satan or the devil, who is evil personified. It's more than just a force. It behaves just like a person with an agenda. And that agenda is pictured and described throughout the Bible in various different ways. But it's an agenda that is all bad. He's called the deceiver and the father of lies because what he wants to do is to get you to believe lies about God and lies about yourself. He offers us false promises. He undermines what God says. He wants to get us to doubt the goodness of God. His very first question in the Garden of Eden in Genesis was, did God really say? He sows seeds of doubt in us. Jesus said that he was like a thief or a burglar who tries to break into our lives under cover of darkness when no one is looking. A thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to steal from us, to damage us, and if he can, to destroy us. 
So the question that we need to be asking ourselves to know whether something is the work of our invisible enemy is this. What effect is this having on me? Am I experiencing the symptoms of this invisible enemy's agenda? Is what's happening inside me a healthy fear or an unhealthy fear? Is it just making me sensible about following the government's guidelines? Or is it making me anxious and stopping me sleeping? Is it damaging my health? Is it affecting my eating and how I'm looking after myself? Is it painting pictures in my mind that are all bad news? Because bad news is Satan's domain. Good news is God's domain. Is it making me doubt God and have negative thoughts about him and about my relationship with him? Is it making me generous and sacrificial because I'm thinking about others and their needs? Or is it just making me selfish, just thinking about me and my needs? Is it making me stressful and angry and critical? Is it drawing me closer to people? Or is it taking me away from people? Is it stealing from me, damaging me, and even destroying me and my walk with him? Will the ways in which God is seeing me respond to all this be pleasing him or will it be saddening him? The verse that I mentioned a moment ago is John 10.10 where Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. So ask yourself this question in what's happening in your life right now. What effects are you experiencing? Is this Satan's work stealing from you and destroying things in your life and killing you inside? Are you experiencing the kind of thing that he does in this verse or that Jesus does in this verse? Which is it? Another way of saying that is, what's the fruit? Jesus said, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. If we're experiencing bad fruit in our life, then God is not the author of that. We can find God in it. He wants us to invite him into it, but it is not him doing it. Jesus also said that our lives are like a farmer's field where the farmer was growing good plants. But at night time, when no one was looking, an enemy came and sowed weeds in among the plants. You can read that in Matthew 13. And we know from the parable of the sower, which is in the same chapter right before this, that what the weeds want to do is to squeeze the life out of what God has planted. That's what Satan tries to do in our lives as well, to sow weeds to squeeze the life out of all the good things that God has planted in us, to stop us producing good fruit and make our relationship with God unfruitful. 
So how do we fight this invisible enemy? Well, the first thing is not to be ignorant or take him for granted. Just like we shouldn't be ignorant about the coronavirus or take that for granted. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, don't let Satan take advantage of you or exploit you. Because, he says, we're not ignorant of his schemes. But you know, sometimes as Christians we are ignorant of his schemes. We don't see his hand in things. We don't ask ourselves those questions. So being aware and recognising when what we're feeling is his doing and his agenda at work, that is the starting point. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So don't let him. Stay alert. Watch out. Don't be ignorant of his schemes. Be aware of his agenda. Which is to steal from you, to harm you, to damage you, and if he can, to destroy you. To stop you being fruitful and experiencing life in the abundant way that God wants you to. Satan wants your life and your thoughts and your feelings to be controlled by his bad news instead of Jesus' good news. And then the second thing in fighting this invisible enemy is to not allow ourselves to be condemned. If you look in the dictionary, the word condemned has three meanings. One is when a a judge passes sentence on you. Another is when a person says they're really disappointed with you. And the other is when they say that something or someone is no longer fit for purpose, like a, a piece of fish or a piece of meat that's gone off and needs to be thrown away because it's now worthless. Do you ever feel condemned like that? If you do, then you really need to know this very famous and very important verse in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is a really good verse to memorise, especially if you often feel bad about yourself. Now the point here isn't that there's no reason for us to feel condemned. There's always reason for any of us to feel that, whoever we are. But that is not what God has for us. Because one of the many things that Jesus has done for us is to set us free from condemnation. So God is not passing sentence on you. God is not disappointed with you. And God never, ever says that you are not fit for purpose or that you need to be thrown in the waste bin. If you are feeling any of that ever, then it's the enemy's condemnation. God wants nothing to do with any of it because you are now in Christ Jesus. Further on in that uh, same chapter, it says, who dares, accuse, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Answer, not God. 
In Revelation 12.10, one of the names given to Satan is the accuser. So to fight this invisible enemy, the first thing is not to be ignorant or take him for granted. We need to wise up and see what's going on. We need to stop letting him take us for a fool. The second thing is not to allow ourselves to be condemned, to see the feeling bad for what it is, because Jesus is not in that. And then the third thing to do to fight this invisible enemy is to go on the attack. And actually that's really easy. We do that by doing the exact opposite of all of the things that Satan does. We commit ourselves to the exact opposite agenda. We fight his lies with God's truths. We fight his false promises with God's real promises. We fight seeds of doubt with seeds of trust. We don't allow things to take root in our lives that will be stealing from us and harming us and damaging us and squeezing the life out of what God has planted in us. We make a decision that our lives will be characterised by good fruit, not bad fruit. That we are going to be fruitful. We're going to be kingdom-centred, not me and my world-centred. We decide that we will do things that advance the kingdom of God, things that love and bless and encourage, things that will bring life to people and abundant life to people. Because that will really annoy our enemy when we do the exact opposite of the stuff that he wants to see happening. When Satan tells us to be selfish and self-centred, we fight back by being generous and sacrificial. If you look at how Jesus fought Satan in his wilderness experience, straight after his baptism at the very start of his ministry, Matthew 4, Luke 4, Mark 1, each time we see Jesus fighting the lies with truths from Scripture. He fights the false promises with the real promises. And that is why it's so good for us to know the Bible so that we will know these truths and know these promises. And this lockdown is a great time to be doing more of that. But we will need to set time aside in order to do it. So let's not be scared of our invisible enemy and the things that our invisible enemy wants to do. Because here is one final great verse to remember. It's 1 John 4.4. 4. Dear children, you belong to God. Present tense. So you have already defeated this spirit. Past tense. Because the one who is in you, present tense, capital O, is greater than the one who is in the world. So let's not focus too much on our invisible enemy. Let's focus on our invisible friend instead. Let's spend time getting to know him. The one whom Jesus came to show us who he is and what he's like. The one who said to us, I will never leave you and I will never let you down.